Amen. So again, we're continuing through the book of Galatians. We are finishing up the section that is really the doctrinal section of the book of Galatians. What I mean by that is you get the doctrine for four chapters, and then chapter five and six is kind of how to apply it, how to walk it out. But I think it's great. I saved this last section, these 10 verses that we're looking at today, Galatians 4, 21 through 31, because it really is Paul's last concluding statements to the doctrine portion. And I love what he does. He's going to take it back to the Old Testament. He's going to reference Genesis. He's going to reference Isaiah. He's bringing all of these Old Testament things, these narratives from the Old Testament, and then saying, this is how this New Testament principle that we're teaching, here's a picture of it over in the Old Testament. And I've said this before. I think this is important. For every New Testament principle, there is an Old Testament picture. We see how the whole counsel of God, the whole Word of God works together. I will tell you this, there are some churches even, I will be honest, there are some Calvary chapels that say they will not teach the Old Testament on Sunday mornings because they don't believe it's as relevant as the New Testament. I will tell you that it all works together and that we are blessed to study all of it. Amen? <laughs> we see that Paul believed it was important to know the Old Testament and to apply it when considering New Testament things. So we're going to see three things this morning. We're going to see Paul talk about children, covenants, and casting away. So again, if you're at Galatians 4, verse 21, say I'm there. Cool. Let's look at this first verse here. It says... Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? <laughs> I'm pausing it because this gives us a, some, some context to what we've studied in Galatians so far. If you remember, throughout this book, the reason that Galatians, the Galatians are receiving this letter is because they've embraced Judaizers who are promoting the Jewish law, the Mosaic law, and all of these practices of men from Judaism. They're saying, you Gentile Galatians, that's great that you have Jesus, that you have faith, but unless you embrace our system, not just the Word of God, but the things that are made by men, you're not really actually truly saved. And see, I know this morning there have been people that have said, why are we talking about the Jewish law? Are, really, is anyone in here worried about coming under the Jewish law this morning? Is that something we're really, that's a threat? There's a threat there, slightly, sure. But you know what kind of things this is? This is like moral things. When people say, hey, you have to have this many works on this side to balance out your bad works in order to get into heaven. <laughs> That's not the gospel of the Bible. <laughs> Our completed work is Jesus' completed work. Amen? But now let's be clear. The fear of the legalist is if we don't tell people to do works, good works, they're going to walk like crazy maniacs and just sin like crazy. And I know that because I'm a recovering legalist, I would say. I believed when I needed to teach, the number one thing more than anything was to make everyone feel terrible and go do better things than what they did before. And can I tell you, there is absolutely, we understand there's an application to walk in the good works that have been prepared beforehand, Ephesians 2.10. Amen? But listen, there are people that are doing works today all over the place that are good moral pagans. <laughs> there are people that are lost in false doctrines that are doing good works. They're out riding their bikes from door to door today. They're knocking on doors today. They're all over. You're like, who are we talking about? All of these cult groups that believe works-based righteousness is what's going to give them eternity. 
Let me tell you again that the law served a couple purposes according to Paul throughout Galatians. The law was there to show us the standard of God. That man, God is holy and we are not. We know that because when we fall short, we have broken that law. And we go, man, I need a savior. But also, that law was there like a tutor, like a disciplinarian, it said in Galatians 3, 24 and 25, to basically make sure we didn't destroy ourselves. It gave us a guideline. But even then, we broke those things. Anyone that thought that they could just earn their way into heaven, Paul's saying, have you considered what the law says? The law exists to convict you as a sinner. How are you ever going to keep that? By the way, if you've ever broken the law in any form or fashion at any point, you're guilty of breaking the whole thing. It's not like, oh, well, I did good with the law today. That makes up for yesterday. No, you're a transgressor. <laughs> this is why we need a Savior who can give us righteousness eternally, and that is Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? Now, again, you might say, the Jewish law is not a thing I use, but let's just pause for a minute. Are there things in your life that you measure your salvation by that are not Jesus Christ? Let me rephrase that. Is there something that you measure your righteousness by that is not the work of Jesus Christ? I know I've been guilty of this. Let me give you a real easy one. Church attendance. Is church a good thing? Absolutely. Hebrews tells us not to forsake the gathering of the brethren. Amen? This is what we should be doing this morning. I'm so stoked you guys are actually here on New Year's Eve. This is awesome. I figured you would be, but you never know. It's kind of a holiday, right? You guys are here because I hope you know, yes, the Word of God's going out. That's a blessed thing. But you're here to pour into one another, to keep each other accountable, to go ahead and, and, and pray for one another. These are good things. But do not think you're going to heaven because you showed up at church enough times. You say, oh, you know why I'm going to heaven? I serve at my church. That's a good thing that you serve at the church. God has prepared good works for you to walk in. By the way, if this is your home church, you know what you should be doing? Serving at the church. That's it. That's, that's, that's what you're made for. Praise the Lord. And don't think that means you have to be the pastor or something. That, that's just serve. Find something to do here, man. It's such a blessed thing when you get plugged in and serve the church. Amen? But don't think that your service is the thing that's getting you into heaven. <laughs> Can I give you one that hits me a lot? This printed word on paper. Let me explain to you. The word of God is what we need to be studying. We need to feed on it. Amen? What I can do, what many people can do, 1 Corinthians 8.1. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. I can get in a spot where because I know the word, I believe my knowledge of the word is the thing that's giving me access into eternity. We should all be good Bereans growing in the Word of God. Amen? Something that happens with Calvary Chapel, I've been guilty of this, I don't know if you guys ever have, but we go, we're the only real church, it seems, because we're the only ones teaching the Bible, it seems like, it's not a true statement, but it seems that we're the only ones that care about teaching the Bible verse by verse in context. We're so much better than everyone else. That's a puffed up statement. <laughs> is, do I believe expositional teaching is the best form of teaching? Amen. <laughs> You do not need my opinion this morning, all right? Amen? You need the Word of God. Yeah, that's right. Amen that loud. So here's the deal. You need the Word of God. And these are all good things. Serving, going to church, being in the Word, knowing true doctrine. This is what we need. But can I tell you, if you're not trusting in Jesus fully and wholly for your righteousness, 
you're trusting in something that's going to fail you. <laughs> something is going to let you down at some point, and it will bring you to a point <laughs> where you realize, man, this can't save me. <laughs> let me be clear. The Word of God, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the? <laughs> Romans 10, 17. We come to know the Lord through His Word. We should be growing in the Word. But it reveals that we are wicked <laughs> and that He is good. And it's by His grace, by His love, that we've even been able to enter eternity, enter this relationship, to have the robes of righteousness that are Jesus's to give. Amen? So this is why Paul says, man, I can't believe you guys have turned from that true gospel. Being saved by grace through faith. You have believed the word of God. You've received the grace of the Lord. And you were walking in it. But these people, these Judaizers, they were called. Men that came in saying, you have to follow man-made traditions. Keep the law. They mixed things of God with things of men. And they said, we have this system that if you don't keep this, you're not really saved. That's happening all the time today around us. People are making systems saying, if you don't keep this system, even though it's intermingled with the Word of God a bit, they say, then you're not really completely saved. I want to remind you this morning that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved and you will receive the Holy Spirit. You want the test of how you're a believer? Is the Holy Spirit residing in you this morning? That's what Romans 8 tells us. If the Holy Spirit is in you, you can rejoice. You have heard the word, you have believed it. Now I will call you, walk in it. <laughs> Stay in it. Don't go trusting in other things. And what Paul says here, he says, you desire to be under the law. Do you even hear it? That word desire here is thelo in the Greek. It means to love and to delight in something. You say, why in the world would someone want to love being under the law? I think we just talked about it a little bit. The reason that we like things like the law, we like something that can measure our righteousness. I mean, we live in a system, in a culture, that when I do work, I get paid for that work. When I study hard, I get a good grade and I get this gold star on my chart, right? These are the things we've been trained to do. We start to go, if you can just give me a system that I can measure, I can now, you know, know how good I'm doing, right? And then, there's this other thing, and when you start getting those things you can measure, you know what you end up doing with it? You boast in it. <laughs> you start going, man, I'm glad there's this system, because now I can point at the system that I have put myself under, and I can boast that I'm doing it better than my neighbor next to me. Again, knowledge puffs up, <laughs> but love edifies. We start to come into these things, and we tweak things of God and make them wicked things because our hearts are idle factories. <laughs> Have you ever noticed this? We can take a very good thing and make it so wicked and evil. And it's because the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked, according to Jeremiah 17. And see, in this case, he says, you guys want to be under this system because you think it's something that if you do it, you'll look so righteous and holy. This was the Judaizers' whole thing. Look at us in our robes. Look at us in our garb and with our phylacteries and our practices. You are going to be so much holier than all those filthy Gentiles around you that just believe in Jesus. And see, Paul says, man, I don't think they've heard the law. Because you see, we know for a fact that word here is akuo. It means to comprehend, to understand. He says, I don't think they know the, the demands of the law nor the curse of the law when you break it. <laughs> 
See, righteousness and works-based righteousness, that's, that's something that's fun when you're doing good. <laughs> but man, when you fall on your face <laughs> and you, make, you mess up, can I tell you the condemnation that comes to you in a works-based righteousness? Guess who this whole thing's depending on at that point? You. <laughs> but can I tell you, in this grace-based righteousness that we receive through faith, it all depends on what Jesus has done. That he is the one that completed the work. We strive to serve him in love. We are committed to him. Not out of some weird obligation that we fear him that he's going to kill us, but out of a response because we know how much he loves us. This is why I don't have to scream at you this morning about obedience. If you know Jesus Christ, you know that obedience is the joy of the believer. You love walking in the things of the Lord now. In the world, you walked opposed those things. And you needed the law because if it wasn't there, you'd probably destroy yourself. <laughs> but when you come into Jesus Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit, which we'll study next week in Galatians 5, and you begin to produce that fruit of the Spirit. <laughs> Love, joy, peace, kindness, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, self-control, all these beautiful things. When the law used to tell you things like don't steal and don't kill, <laughs> The Holy Spirit says, enough of the thou shalt not. It's time thou shalt. Thou shalt love your neighbor. Thou shalt actually have joy and peace and long-suffering. The law could never get us there. But being filled with the Spirit, trusting in that completed work of Jesus, can I tell you, you're going to become a new creation, as 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. And if you know that experience, you know, man, you're, it's your heart's desire to, so, so we might say, dwell in the house of the Lord. To be with his people, to be in his word, to walk after him because you respond to who he is. But see, Paul was worried because they were embracing these things. In Galatians 3.10, it says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. <laughs> so in other words... I don't know, I think about this. If a police officer pulled me over, do you want to play the game of, hey, you know what? I want to be under the law right now. <laughs> I think you want to be under mercy and grace, amen? I don't know about you, but chances are they're not pulling me over to be like, hey, great driving, man. Just so good, right? <laughs> it's like, what the heck are you doing? It's, it's 80 on the freeway and you're going 95. It's like, I'm just staying with the speed of Texas, man, right? That's what we do here. But the reality is I'm not begging to say, man, but you don't know how good I did two weeks ago under the law. You didn't see that time I actually stopped at the stop sign that one time. It's like, I don't care. You ran it today. You're guilty. See, it's so convenient. We want to be like, oh, la, 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 when we're doing good. But man, we get out of line. I'll tell you what we're so quick to call for, grace. <laughs> Shouldn't that show us what the better system is? <laughs> it's grace. What's the thing that saves us? It's grace. It's not the law. The law was good and purposeful. But it never, the law itself was not going to save you. It was going to convict you. God was going to save you from it as you trust in him for a savior. And we want to try to keep the law. And again, people said, are we talking about the Jewish law? The law of God. Thou shall not kill. Thou shall not steal. Thou shall not lie. Thou shall not covet. Get away from the Jewish thing and just think of how many things you violated. And you go, man, I don't want to be under the law. There's a curse that comes with who I am as the law convicts me as a sinner. Look at 22 and 23 in Galatians here. It says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. 
But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise. Now, this is what's so cool about Paul. Paul will just randomly pick up something from the Old Testament, and he'll throw it out there like you've studied it for years. <laughs> I love that because I hope as good Bereans, we can read this section and be like, cool, I've seen that one before, right? I know that episode, right? <laughs> this is the kind of thing where if you come in here now again, if you don't know that section, that's okay. We're going to hit it a little bit today. It's referencing back to Genesis. It's talking about Abraham. He had two sons born from two different women, born from two very different approaches and two very different outcomes followed these children. And see, what we're talking about here is Paul says there's one that was born by a bondwoman and one by a free woman. And see, he's speaking first of Ishmael, that older son that was born of Hagar, who was that Egyptian maidservant bondwoman that was there. I think it's interesting. She's Egyptian. I believe that Abraham picked up Hagar in his season where he was down in Egypt when he shouldn't have been. I think that's kind of interesting. Sometimes you come back with things from your sin that you shouldn't have ever had in the first place, right? That's kind of interesting. No dialogue in here tells us that's where she came from, but it's kind of weird. Here's this Egyptian woman. I think this is what happens when we go and get involved in sinful things when places we shouldn't be in. But it's interesting. Here's Ishmael that's born of, of Hagar, the bondwoman. Isaac was born to Sarah, and Sarah's that free woman. And if you remember, this is from Genesis 16. There's this section where, look, at, in Genesis 12, Abraham had been given these great promises. God says, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to multiply you. It's going to be great. Genesis 15, 5. I'm going to make you like, your, your descendants are going to be like more than the stars up in the sky. And he, remember, he believed the promise of the Lord and it was accounted to him for righteousness, right? Genesis 15, 6. We always talk about that. Man, praise the Lord for Abraham's faith and that's how he received the promises of God. But then we get into kind of the messy section after that. <laughs> In Genesis 16, Sarai and Abram, they're old, they're, I don't know, 100 years old, give or take, between the two of them. And you have them here, and they're like, man, this is never going to happen. This promise of God's not going to happen. You know what we need to do? We need to get involved. Do God a favor. <laughs> have you ever been there? <laughs> I'm going to help God with the plan that he spoke over my life. I'm going to get involved. Does that ever produce anything good, right? It usually, now, it's funny. We're going to see in the section. The Lord's good. I've talked about this before. He still will even, somehow he's so good that he blesses after the fact. When we go, Lord, that was wrong. And he goes, okay, I can somehow give back the years that the locusts ate, so to speak. <laughs> and see, in this section, though, Sarah's like, I have an idea. She says, why don't you take Hagar, this maidservant, and you go into her and have a child with her, and that's how we're going to fulfill the promises of God. <laughs> a total work of the flesh. I do think it's interesting that Abraham was like, hey, this sounds like a great idea. Let's go ahead and roll with it. I think that's funny, right? <laughs> Abraham's like quick to jump in on this one. So I don't know, maybe seek the Lord on things like this. This is kind of wild. He jumps right into it and says, this is great. Verse 23, I know, right? All the guys are like, dude, right? Just pray. He who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh and he of the free woman through promise. And this is stressing the manner, the difference between the two. You see, you have Hagar, who seems like, hey, this is a good idea, right? Sarah's saying, just, just use Hagar. This is a complete work of the flesh. You're trying to do the promises of God through your own means, through your own works. Do you see why Paul's applying this in, to, the, to the Galatians? You're trying to do these things to fulfill the promises of God through yourself. How has that worked out in the past? <laughs> 
He says, but then you have Sarah and you have that child Isaac, the one that was promised by God through miraculous intervention. Man, the Lord allowed that womb to be opened to be able to give birth to the promised son. And see, it says that one was born according to the flesh to the bondwoman, one to the free woman through promise. And we say, what's the point of this? You see, in their culture, it was very important. Your family, your mother, it had a direct effect on how you were viewed, how you were considered. And see, it's interesting. John Walvoord, the commentator, he says, according to ancient law and custom, the status of a mother affected the status of her son. So that first son, we'll say the, the original, the first one, the older one, Ishmael, he's born, but he's born from the flesh to a slave woman. That means that his lineage, those of Ishmael and believe and act and do the things of Ishmael, as Paul's applying it, are basically entering into a lineage of bondage and slavery, just like Ishmael. He says, but those that are born, like Isaac, born to Sarah, the free woman, now we have a lineage. This child came from the promise of God and is, is absolutely a reflection, a, the poster boy of freedom because of God's miraculous provision. Amen? And see, Paul explains in Romans 9, 7 through 8, he says, Nor are they all children, because they are the seed of Abraham. Speaking of the Jews, he says, But in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. What Paul was saying in Romans 9 was that just because someone is born Jewish does not make them a, a spiritual son of Abraham. They may have a lineage. But guess who else had a lineage to Abraham? Ishmael. You've got to come into faith and be a son of promise like Isaac to be a completed Jew, we might call it today. See, the idea is that's great. That is a blessed thing to be of Jewish heritage. I mean, can I be honest? If we're in the church, there's something, I don't know, it's almost, there's a little bit of jealousy almost. Like, man, that's so cool. You're of that original group we've been grafted into. But if you're just Jewish and do not believe in the promised word of God, that's not good enough. You're an Ishmael. You need to come all the way in to the promises, and by faith you become an Isaac, one that is given life by God. And see, it's interesting I, don't, I think I should stress this. Today, we still see the physical effects of Ishmael and Isaac. There is a battle that is occurring. And you might say, man, that's so radical to say that. We're going to see Paul's going to apply it that way in a little bit. There's a reality that there is chaos around Israel. Those that have been promised by God, we know in Romans 11:26 that they will come to faith. Generally speaking, that nation is going to turn repent and trust in Jesus Christ. Amen? There is a spiritual darkness that surrounds that region. And there are people coming to attack Israel constantly. Now, let me be clear. Does that mean that everything Israel does right now is perfect and sound? No. Let me be clear, people have accused the church, that just means we approve of everything, anytime, anything they do. They don't know Jesus Christ right now, generally speaking. But do you know there's a promise upon their nation that they will? That should make us go, man, this is why we want to be allies. This is why we love them. This is why we stand with them. And this is the other thing, though. Ishmael, as we will see, was still given a promise by God that he says, look at you call upon me, guess what? I will protect you. I will care for you. 
All the other nations that are not Israel, do you understand? They can come in to know the blessing of Jesus Christ and the God of Israel this morning. Amen? But in blindness, in jealousy, they reject and oppose the God of Israel, Jesus Christ, and the Word of God. And see, it's interesting, because I'm going to do this. You don't, if you want to flip there, you can. I think we have it on the screens. I'm going to go to Genesis 21, verse 8 for a second here. And in this section, this is that section of Scripture where Paul is referencing back to, to what occurred. And look at what happens in Genesis 21, verse 8. It speaks of Isaac here. It says, So the child, Isaac, grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, scoffing or mocking. Therefore she said to Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. And the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. Think about the context here. Years later, this is probably 13 years after the decision to, to go into Hagar because we believe that at this point, Ishmael, the older one's probably about 13. We think that Abra uh, I'm sorry, Isaac is probably about three years old, give or take, when he's being weaned. There's different opinions on that. Might be up to six years old, as young as two years old. Probably about three. So you have a three-year-old, 13-year-old, the two sons of Abraham, one by Hagar, one by Sarah. Now they're having this great big party. And remember, everyone knows, man, what a miracle Sarah had this child, Isaac. This is the provision of the Lord. What a blessed thing. And as they have this celebration, it's basically they're saying, this is the one that was promised. This later son that came is actually fulfilling the promised word of God to give blessing. The older, older son, he was this work of the flesh. And it represented bondage. But now there's this son that's here that it's, represents freedom. And what is the older son doing? He's mocking, scoffing. He's saying, oh man, this is ridiculous. I believe that there is a jealousy there in the heart of Ishmael, that his younger brother is the one with the promise. I believe that that is probably clearly inherited by his mother, who has absolutely hated Sarah, hated all of this. This whole thing, can I tell you what this all began in, by the way? Sin. Can we just agree this morning that sin is ugly? Sin creates situations that we're like, man, I don't even know how to straightforward fix this thing from the Word of God. We know we can, but there are so many offshoots of issues. We've had things recently occur where we're like, we don't even know how to approach these things sometimes because it's so convoluted with so much sin. And see, in this instance, we see what was, what was breeding out of that sin was hatred towards the promised one, Isaac. <laughs> and see, what Sarah says is what we need to do, we have to cast out the woman of bondage cast out her son who was a work of the flesh. Can you imagine, dads, I'm just going to say dads for a minute. Imagine your son. You have a son with the first wife, and then your, your wife now says, hey, you got to cast that kid away. Can we just talk about the humanity again as we talked about Joseph last week in that section? Think about the humanity of Abraham here. I have to send my son away. I love my son. Ishmael is still his child. Now again, he's not the the child of promise. We understand that. It says, in Isaac will your seed be called. But Ishmael is that hard thing. They go, man, I don't want to separate myself. Can I just tell you, spiritually speaking, that we have works of our flesh that we just love to hold on to. Right? But this is my little thing. 
I like this. I don't know, I don't mean to just blatantly call Ishmael sin, but I'm just allegorically speaking here. You have things that you have produced in your flesh, you're like, it's too hard to give that thing up right now. Your wife might be calling you to give it up. <laughs> Maybe she's the mouthpiece of the Lord in your life right now, saying you need to depart from that thing. We love to hold on to things because we're like, but you don't understand, this thing's important to me. Sometimes the Lord says, don't worry, trust me. I will take care of everything if you obey my voice. <laughs> Can I tell you what happens? Take a look again at Genesis 21, verse 12 and 13. It says, But God said to Abraham, Do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac your seed shall be called. Yet I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman because he is your seed. Can we talk about the goodness of God right now? God did not openly set himself out against Ishmael and Hagar. This is huge. I think I have been guilty many times of kind of having a one-track mind in regards to Israel. Let me be clear. Israel are the chosen promised people of the word of God. Amen? That covenant, there's a covenant that is open to even the enemies of Israel if they repent and trust in the God of Israel. If they trust in the God of the Bible. That might be a hard word for you to accept this morning. I'm not saying the promise has changed. You hear me, amen? But you need to understand, our prayer today should be repentance of all those nations around. But let me tell you the eschatological plan, the plan for end times according to Scripture. I believe the only way that's going to come is when Jesus comes and rules and reigns. That is why right now there is such a spiritual darkness, heaviness around the land of Israel, and the whole world is engaged right now with anti-Semitism hating on Israel. God forbid that the church step into such things. <laughs> but let me tell you what needs to happen. We need to understand that God has even created the enemies of Israel, it would seem, in his own image. <laughs> and you know what's wild about that in this section? God says, I'm even going to make them a nation because <laughs> they're your seed, Abraham. Abraham willingly said, all right, Lord, I'm going to give away this thing that I thought, man, it's going to be hard to do. And you know what the Lord says? You give this thing to me, I'll bless it in a way you never expected. Again, I don't know what thing you're holding on to. And you're like, man, I got to keep this thing. I got to, this is my thing. The Lord says, surrender that to me. Surrender it to me right now. Yeah, but no, I need to keep it. I need to try to keep my Ishmael and my Isaac functioning and living together. Man, that can't happen. You got to cast something away. And let me apply this in the way Paul is going to apply it. We're talking about trying to have righteousness through works while trying to say you're saved by grace. What are you going to cast away this morning? Don't cast away the grace. <laughs> but you try to intermingle the two things, one's going to mock the other. One's going to despise the other. Get away from just the global national view of Israel now. You hear what I'm saying? Paul is taking a true historical account that has its own things, its own, tr its own true events that happen, and he's applying it to grace versus that doctrine of works. And he's saying you've got to cast one of them away. This can't be, it can't function together. And I just want to remind you this morning, the blessedness of God to say, man, I'm going to even take care of people that seem to be absolute enemies of my people because I desire they'd come to know me. <laughs> I don't know who you're praying for this morning. You might be praying for people and you're like, man, they hate God so much, I just don't know if they'll ever come to know him. I tell you that Ezekiel 18.32, it says, God says, I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies. I desire that all come to me, turn and live. 
God desires that all men would not perish, but that they would come to repentance according to 2 Peter 3.9. Now, that is not a message of universalism. And those that oppose God and His people, can I tell you, there is going to be a judgment that comes upon them. But man, God's heart is that they would come to know Him, that they would surrender to Him, just as you and I have. Remember how wicked we used to be prior to the Lord. <laughs> is it not a miracle that we are here today? <laughs> Someone was praying for us when we were absolute opposed to who Jesus Christ is. And now we've been called and adopted in because of His goodness, not because of our works. Amen? Look at it as we go back to Galatians here, Galatians 4. Look at verse 24 through 27. So he takes those things we just read about. And he says in verse 24, he says, these things are symbolic. He says, for these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, and he quotes Isaiah 54, 1, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. See, it's interesting in verse 24 here, Paul was just referencing Genesis 21, 8 through 21 that we just read through, we just looked at. And he says, these things are symbolic. Now, he's not talking about Genesis. Genesis is a true historical thing. The word that's being used here in the Greek for symbolic is allegoreo. It's where we draw the word allegory. He's taking Genesis 21, and he says it has its true, literal, real, real events that happened that point who God is and his goodness and his promises that he fulfills his word to give this promise to Abraham through Isaac to say, Israel will be my people, to say that he is good to even bless those that are made in his image, that they can come to know him, all those things. He says, but here's the deal. I'm going to take that true event that happened in Genesis 21 and I'm going to apply it allegorically to express the difference between the grace and the law. Does that make sense what we're seeing here? I stress that because you know what some churches might do this morning? They'll say everything's symbolic and make everything mean something it doesn't mean. That's not what Paul does here. He never violates what Genesis 21 says. He uses the Word of God to support the principle, to illustrate the picture of what he's talking about. He says, this is what it says. This is what's occurring. And so as we understand that, he says, there's basically, there's these two covenants. One covenant of law, of righteousness by keeping the law, another one of grace. And he says, this is the difference between what I have brought to you in the true gospel of Jesus Christ versus that false gospel that these Judaizers, these false brethren have brought you. They have brought you a message of bondage. I have brought you a message of freedom. And it's all because of what Jesus has done versus what you have done. And see, he said in Galatians 1, 6-7, Paul said, I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. That means the gospel that these men have brought to you and said, if you don't keep these things, oh man, you're in trouble. You're not actually saved. And they're talking about the Jewish law and man-made traditions based upon the Jewish law. And see, at this point, he says, no, that's not good news because you can't keep the law. <laughs> that's just going to bring you back into bondage. And that's why in 24 and 25, he says, there's the one that's from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. And he says, this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. Again, we're like, what are we talking about? 
In Exodus 19 through 20, you remember the law came at Mount Sinai. In Arabia there, it was given the law, the Mosaic law, and it was from God. It was a good thing. Amen? The law was a good thing. We can agree with that. But see, when men take the law and believe that I can be saved through the law, that is the wrong application. The law was absolutely there to guide us, to direct us, to protect us. But it was to direct us into God who needs to save us. And see, he says there's this law that came. That's one of them. That's the first covenant. And he says that's like Hagar. Because it's a, it's a thing of bondage. Again, you might not be thinking about the Jewish law this morning, but what kind of bondage are you putting yourself under or has someone else put you under and said, unless you do these things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, let me be clear. There is behavior that follows faith. Amen? There should be fruit that comes out of your faith in Jesus Christ. But you were never saved by the fruit. You were saved by the faith. Now, if you don't have the fruit coming out of your faith, can I tell you, that's alarming. <laughs> Hit the pause button, consider, do I actually have a relationship with Jesus Christ? If you didn't change, you don't look like a new creation. Sorry to break it to you. You're probably not a new creation. <laughs> That's a hard word, but you need to hear it because you need to repent and trust in Jesus Christ. And when you do, it's so beautiful because when you live according to the Spirit, man, you're going to fulfill the things of the law. <laughs> you're not going to be busy killing someone because you're busy loving someone as the Spirit would lead you to. You're not going to be stealing. You're going to be looking for opportunities to bless. These are the things that come out of it. If you're just worried about the thou shall nots and you're doing it in your own strength, you might not know the completed work of Jesus Christ. That would be scary to sit in church your whole life and miss the pure gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't know who needs to hear that. That's not in my notes. That probably means that someone here isn't recovering legalist or locked into legalism like I once was. I believe that if I don't read my word today and I get hit by a car, I'm going to hell. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. <laughs> but can I tell you, when you're in Jesus, you want to read the word. <laughs> you want to know who the Lord is. You want to be with him. Husbands, when you met your wives, the way you got to know her is you spent time with her. <laughs> that would be a very weird approach to be like, I think I met the woman I'm going to marry someday. I'm just never going to talk to her ever again. That's not a good practice. Young men, don't do that. You've got to get to know the person. You want to know the person because you love the person. This is what we should be doing with the Word of God and with the Lord. It's not a bondage relationship. It's a willing, loving relationship responding to what Jesus Christ has done. Amen? Now, it's interesting. He says that that original covenant, that one given at Mount Sinai, it corresponds to Jerusalem, which is now, speaking of the time of Paul, and he says, and it's in bondage with her children. Let me tell you what Paul's saying here. Jerusalem, at the time when Paul was writing, he said, man, Jerusalem is claiming that they're the children of God because they're of Abraham. But right now, they're basically Ishmael's. They've rejected the true son of promise, Jesus Christ. And they're trying to make themselves righteous through this old law that's making them brought into bondage. And he says, and they're coming into your region saying you have to be like them. He says, they've totally missed the one, Jesus Christ, that was the seed that came from the great fulfillment of Abraham's promises. That, that one would come and he would be, that Abraham would become a blessing to all people. It's because Jesus Christ came from Abraham. Amen? That's the greatest blessing. Through his lineage. Through Isaac, this is the promised one. He came, and it says in Matthew 22, no, 23, 37, that Jesus wept over Jerusalem. 
He wept over those of, of, that, of that Jewish descent who rejected him. There were some who put their faith in Jesus Christ. They became true sons of God through Abraham, through Isaac. But there were many Ishmaels who rejected the word of God and Jesus wept saying, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophet and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you know what he says? But you were not willing. Let me rephrase that. Let me express it one more time. You were not willing. I have to hit this this morning as a fresh thought on my mind this week. There is a theology that says God is the one, and because of his will, that's what decides if you're a believer. And because of that, there are those that he made in his image, but he hasn't willed them to know him, so he sends them to hell. I'm sorry, that's heresy. I can't say it any more clear than that. And when that pendulum swings, let me be clear, God is sovereign. We read Romans 8 and Romans 9, but do you know what Romans 10 says? Man has to respond to the sovereignty of God. If you only lean into the free will side so much that you're like, God doesn't have an elect, that's not scriptural. But if you lean so far into election that you say man is a robot and God has made some people just to burn and stoke the flames of fire because he didn't will them to be saved, that's not what, what 2 Peter 3.9 says. That's not what Ezekiel 18.32 says. God desires that all men would come to know the truth. And Jesus says, I am so upset because you were not willing to come to me. Why isn't he blaming God? God, why didn't you will them? Because man in his stubborn sin will reject Jesus Christ. If you think you can stand before God someday and say, well, you didn't elect me. No, no, no. You didn't respond to the election. <laughs> you didn't respond to the revelation of the word of God. And I will tell you, you can blame no one <laughs> but yourself as you stand before God. Would Jesus weep over you today? Or is he rejoicing that you have used your will to respond to sovereign God who provided the atonement for your sins? Man, we get so messed up with weird man-made things sometimes. And I will call it what it is this morning. I am sorry to offend you, but I'm going to put it out there. If you follow a system that's named after a man, that's a man-made system. I don't know what it is, what you want to call it. There are many different things. Whatever those are, be careful. They're intermingled with Scripture just as these Judaizers were doing. And they were saying, unless you come into our system, you're not really saved. Man, that can create heresy when we do things like that. I will use that word with passion this week because I've seen the cold bitterness that comes out of man-made systems that are intermingled with the word of God. You are not under bondage this morning. You have been set free by Jesus Christ. By the will of God and you've responded to it, you know that you're a new creation. Amen? Sorry, rant for the day. I'm getting worked up. Let's come back here. All right. Yeah, all right. So, verse 26, it says again, he, he says it corresponds, the good one, the free one, it corresponds with the Jerusalem above, which is free, which is the mother of us all. And if we pause that, we're like, that sounds weird, mother of us all. That sounds like Mother Earth type weird Mother Nature things, right? Let me explain what's happening here. He says, if Hagar gives birth to Ishmael and those that mock Isaac and the son of promise, Sarah is like that true Jerusalem, that new Jerusalem that is going to be inherited by everyone who believes in the promises of God, just as Sarah did, just as Abraham did, and just as Isaac became that son. Amen? This is important to note because <laughs> it says there's a Jerusalem there on earth, but it's not submitted to Jesus. And it's a mess. And Jesus weeps over it. 
So man, that's hurting my heart. But there's a true Jerusalem that many, some Jews had come in to believe. Some today have believed. Praise the Lord for that. There's going to be a great revival at the end of time. When we see at the end of time speaking before Christ's return, when Israel's going to put their trust in Jesus Christ. And man, that's going to be a rejoicing moment. It's going to be awesome. I don't plan here to, to, to be here to see it. But here's the deal. We know. I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. If we're offending people this morning, let's keep going. We believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. I don't believe that the Lord slays the righteous with the wicked, as he says in Genesis 18.25, as he spared Noah from the flood, as he raptured up Enoch, who walked with God and suddenly was not, and Hebrews 11.5 says he never tasted death. There is a rapture picture in the Old Testament and a rapture principle in the New Testament. Where do you place it? I believe it's placed right at the end of chapter 3, going into chapter 4 of Revelation, before the Lord says, hey, come on up here, and I'll show you the things that will take place after this. That should give us a peace today. But we should be praying for our, brother, our brethren in Israel who are going to come to faith in Jesus Christ someday. Amen. That's why we stand with them. But now we should be praying for everybody in this lost, dark world. Because, man, we want people to leave the bondage of sin and shame and unbelief and respond to Jesus Christ and come in that he would rejoice rather than weep over them. And see, it's wild because what Paul does here, he quotes Isaiah 54, 1, verse 27, a section of Scripture that actually isn't talking about Sarah, but he says the principle stays the same, though. I'm using a cross-reference, he would say. This is why we teach the way we teach. We teach a section of Scripture, we pull something from here that corresponds and relates. We're not saying that that completely fulfilled the other thing. We're saying that the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? And see, in Isaiah 54, 1, it, again, it says, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. That would be like Sarah was. She was barren. Seemed that she would never have a child. He says, No, rejoice. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. He says, Man, Hagar over here, the work of the flesh with Ishmael. There was a nation that was blessed. Okay, good. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for blessing this people. They're made in your creation. You've, you've allowed them to prosper and live. But yet Israel, man, do you know that we've been grafted into the promises that were given to Israel? We have not replaced Israel. We've been grafted in. We're just getting everything this morning, I guess. We're talking about replacement theology now. We didn't replace Israel, okay? We've been grafted in. And as we, the believers, the church, believed upon the promises given to Abraham, to Isaac, and fulfilled in Jesus Christ, Sarah now has all these, for lack of a better term, hear me out, all of these children in the new Jerusalem heaven because we, like, like her and Abraham, have believed by promise and we become sons of promise like Isaac. Amen? Because we, become, we believed in the word of God and the completed work of Jesus Christ. So let me ask you, are you going to rejoice today because you go, man, I'm a child of promise? Or are you going to be in bondage because you're just like, no, I'm going to continue to work by my flesh? I'm going to continue to try to do this in my own strength. I'm going to be like a work of the flesh, like Ishmael and Hagar. And again, I feel like I have to say this. If anyone in here heard that this morning is like, what this means is I need to cast away my stepson in real life. That's not what we're talking about. Do I need to say that real quick? There are sins in your life you need to cast away. Amen? The Lord is so good to make up those things that, have, that maybe were mistakes in the sense of we participated in sin, but the Lord brings blessings somehow, even out of those things sometimes. Amen? There are so many things that we go, man, this is going to destroy my life because I messed up. And the Lord's so good to redeem those things. 
to say, I will still give the opportunity to know blessing in those situations. That was Ishmael. He was over in a bush about to die in Genesis 21. And the Lord heard his cry and said, man, I'm going to take care of you. And I'm going to take care of Hagar. I'm going to allow them to live because they're made in my image. That's the goodness of God. Man makes himself an enemy with God. God doesn't say man's my enemy. Man does that. And it's proven because God sent his son Jesus Christ to bring salvation to anyone that would believe. Look at how it ends today. We'll take this last chunk quickly. It says 28 through 31. It says, Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does the Scripture say? He goes back to Genesis 21. Cast out the bondwoman and her son, and the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. <laughs> Amen? See, this is the conclusion to the doctrinal portion of Galatians, where he's saying, man, do not go back under the law. Don't go into a system. Forget the Jewish law. Today in 2023, don't think your works are the thing that are going to make you right before God. You need to do what's right with Jesus Christ. You need to believe upon Him, receive Him, and He will give you His Holy Spirit and show that you are an heir to the kingdom of God. Because you believe like Abraham, because you're a son of promise like Isaac. Do not live under bondage like a work of the flesh of Hagar and, and Abraham or like Ishmael. Man, believe. But I will tell you, Paul says it right here. We talked about it a minute ago. He says, for every Isaac, there is a real Ishmael, though. Let me tell you what that means in three ways, real quick. <laughs> I think, first of all, we already talked about it from a practical national level. We still see today. Every nation, man, they look at Israel, and Israel is like a cup of drunkenness to them, it says in Scripture. They are jealous of Israel. They have a, a, an infused hatred in their buildup because they've rejected who the Lord is. We see that practically nationally. But can I tell you, for you and I, man, we know there's an Ishmael that is our flesh. <laughs> man, there's that Ishmael alive that's trying to mock and oppose the work of the Spirit in our hearts as Isaac. Amen? <laughs> man, we got to fight that battle every day. And you know how you fight it? Cast it away. Are you, which, you know, my old pastor used to say you have two dogs in every fight. Which one's going to win? The one you feed the most. You have your flesh, you have the spirit. Why do we want to be in the word? Because it's going to feed the spirit. Why do we want to be in fellowship? It's going to feed the spirit. Why do we serve at church? Because, man, we're going to glorify God. It continues to feed the spirit. We're just doing the things we're made to do. We're not saved by those things, but we need to be doing those things. It's a good thing. It's a beneficial thing. But can I tell you the third application of this whole thing? Remember what Paul's writing about. Paul says, I have become a son of promise like Isaac. I brought you the gospel of freedom in Jesus Christ. The Judaizers, they're basically my Ishmael. They're showing up to town saying that you need to come back into bondage. They're mocking my credentials, Paul would say. Remember in chapter 2, he had to say, no, I'm really an apostle. <laughs> he says, I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you the gospel that was revealed to me. He gave them all of the info saying, no, I am legitimate and see, those, those Ishmaels, the Judaizers say, he's not legitimate. We are. And Paul says, no, absolutely not. They're Ishmaels. I am like Isaac. <laughs> and you can choose today. Are you going to follow me and be of the lineage of Isaac? Free? Through Sarah? Through Abraham? Through the promises of God? Or are you going to go and live your life like an Ishmael? <laughs> rejecting the word of God 
and trying to trust in your own works, which is only going to bring bondage. And I love how he concluded the whole thing. Again, he goes back to Scripture and says, cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman should not be heir with the son of the free woman. There is one heir in this story. It's not Ishmael, it's Isaac. <laughs> do you want to be an heir to the kingdom of God? You can't do it through your flesh. You can't do it through legalism. You can't do it through, do it through your bondage of, of all the, the legalistic law-keeping and good moral works. You have to trust in Christ alone. And it's interesting. It says, so then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. <laughs> it's two things. But I'll, look at, I'm closing my Bible. You guys are waiting for it. We're done, okay? Two things. <laughs> I know. I used to sit in the pews. I'm like, just close it, dude. We want to go to lunch. All right, here we go. <laughs> There's the bondwoman... <laughs> Like, we're, we're of that bondwoman. We've been set free. First of all, I got to tell you, man, don't let anyone bring you back into bondage under legalism, under weird, weird trips, man-made things. Don't do that. You have been set free through the work of Jesus Christ. Amen? But I have to apply it to New Year's because it's a New Year's message, so here we go. <laughs> what are the things the Lord put on your heart at the end of 2023? and says you need to cast those things away. I knew we'd be able to bring it to a New Year's thing. All right, resolutions, all right. I'm not just talking about going to the gym. Praise the Lord for going to the gym. That's cool, whatever. Eating clean, whatever. I'm talking about those things that the Lord laid on your heart all year long. He said, but man, I kind of, I, I can put up with this thing. Maybe you don't even love this thing, but you're like, I'll put up with it because it's mine. It's just who I am. Have you ever said that? This is part of who I am. No, you're a new creation now. Get rid of that old junk. <laughs> Cut away the garbage. <laughs> And I hope you know I'm not preaching at you. I have many things that I go, Lord, I got to get rid of this thing. <laughs> when I slip back into that thing, when I start thinking certain ways, when I start coming back to the bondage of legalism, no, that's not what Christ has called us to. I need to be walking in the good works that he prepared beforehand, as Ephesians 2.10 says, amen. I need to glorify God with the good works that I do so that the world may see it and in return glorify God, Matthew 5.16. But I will tell you, if there are things in your life that are just absolutely contradictory to the word of God you need to cast those things away maybe it's a season of reprioritizing <laughs> have you said hey it's okay that God is secondary to everything else no cast that away have you said no I need to do this thing and not that thing look commit it to the Lord can I tell you you can't do it in your own strength <laughs> not by might not by power but by my spirit says the Lord Zechariah 4 6 this year and every year and every day, <laughs> say, Lord, let me take inventory of the things that shouldn't be here today. The things that I'm trusting in that I shouldn't be trusting in. The things that I proudly boast in as my righteousness, if they're not Jesus, get them out of here. Put them in submission to who the Lord is. Good things can become God things, and that is very problematic. It's okay to have good things in your life, but make sure, <laughs> make sure it's all surrendered and submitted to Jesus Christ. Amen? Why don't you guys stand with me and we'll pray.